Well, Heidi, uh, we are now going to have a child loss panel. My son, Scott, died very many years ago, your brother. So um, it's one thing that comes up for me and people talking about it. And we have some good friends that we've known through the Compassionate Friends for years. Um, the moderator of our panel is uh, going to be Debbie Dulabon. And, you know, Debbie has been a good friend, lost her son, Dale Jr. Dale Lee Dulabon III. Right, exactly. So we appreciate you, Debbie, being on our panel today. It's so great to see you. I <laughs> want to tell people a little bit about you. After the death of her six-year-old son, Dale Lee Duabon III, Debbie began a work in his memory with several nonprofit organizations. She's volunteered for many years with the American Red Cross and the San Fernando Valley Domestic Abuse Response Team. Debbie's a court-appointed special advocate representing the needs of children in Los Angeles County and the welfare system. As I remember, Debbie, you rode around in the ride around in police cars helping the yeah, police. That's good I still do it. Uh, good for you. <laughs> She's been active in the Compassionate Friends, serving as the chair of the diversity committee and as a former member and president of the Compassionate Friends National Board of Directors, which is where I knew you from. So great yes, to my husband, fun, Debbie. And Heidi's going to introduce your panel now. Okay. Very good. I served with Debbie on the board as well. Welcome, Debbie, and all her panel members who I adore. And again, these are leaders in the grief and loss world. Let me start out with Diane Gray. Diane is an end-of-life doula and a certified grief specialist. She has a trauma and recovery certificate from Harvard's, Harvard's Global Health Institute. She serves on the global board of the Elizabeth Kubler-Ross Foundation and is a global ambassador of the International Children's Palliative Care Network. Diane is also an award-winning writer and has founded four nonprofits that improve care for seriously ill children and adults. Welcome, Diane. Thank you. Next, we have Nivia. Uh, Nivia Vasquez. Nivia is the mother of Jose Francisco Yoito Barreto Vasquez. Did I get that, Nivia? <laughs> Good, I love, I love his name and I know you always say it. Um, and I adore it. Uh, he died in an automobile accident. Since her son's passing, she has become involved with many facets of the Compassionate Friends. She has translated to Spanish TCF brochures and offered workshops at, at conferences in Spanish. Nivia is a former board member. She served with my mom on the Compassionate Friends Board of Directors. She was the recipient of the prestigious Simon Stevens Award and has been a chapter leader in Puerto Rico for 23 years. Welcome, Nivia. Thank you. And then last but not, but not least is our chief executive officer for the Compassionate Friends, Sherry O'Loughlin. Sherry uh, is a national, this is, the Compassionate Friends is a national organization, for those of you that don't know this, providing peer support to bereaved parents, siblings, and grandparents. Sherry found her local Compassionate Friends chapter in Albuquerque, New Mexico, after the sudden death of her beloved 14-year-old son, Connor. Sherry has published the book, Life from the Ashes, Finding Signs of Hope After Loss. She is both a bereaved parent and a bereaved sibling. She has a master's in business administration and has developed corporate programs for better supporting bereaved employees in the workplace and stewarding clients through grief. Welcome, Sherry, to the conference, and welcome all of you to this important panel today. Thank you. It's great to be here. So Thank you. 
Debbie, take it away. Good afternoon, ladies. It's good to be with you all again. So we've had a couple of you know chats offline, so we're just going to dive right into it um, with your grief. So if you could just shortly explain, you know, introduce your your child and your or your sibling, and tell us you know how they passed away. So we'll start with Sherry in my top right hand corner. Sure. Um, so I have three children and uh, 10 and a half years ago, my middle child, my only son, Connor, was suddenly killed in an airplane crash. Um, he had gone on a wonderful uh, guy's vacation with friend and friend's father and had a beautiful time. And I got the shocking news, news that he didn't return. Um, and even having been a brief child or sibling from my childhood, I just never imagined I would be a brave parent. So as you know, many understand who are listening and of course you on the panel, it turned my life and upside down and changed it in an instant. Thank you. Nivia. Um, I have two boys. My oldest son, Jose Francisco Joito Barreto is my oldest son. He was a very happy and caring young man whose passion was to become a pilot. He graduated from American Flyers College on May 6, 1993, and returned to Puerto Rico very proud of his accomplishment. He was involved in a car accident where a very close friend of his, who was studying to become a pilot also, was driving, fell asleep, and hit a tree on the passenger side. Joito was the only one who died on June 6, 1993, exactly one month after graduation. Joito was 21 years old. Saludos. Jose Francisco Joito Barreto es mi hijo, tengo dos hijos. Él era muy alegre, cariñoso y su pasión era hacerse piloto. Él se graduó de American Flyers College el 6 de mayo de 1993 y regresó a Puerto Rico muy orgulloso de ser piloto. Joito estuvo envuelto en un accidente automovilístico donde el conductor, quien también estudiaba aviación, chocó por el lado del pasajero y él fue el único que murió el 6 de junio de 1993, exactamente al mes de haberse graduado. Joito tenía 21 años. Thank you, Nivia. Diane. Uh, my son was Austin Gray. I have two kids. My daughter is Christina. Uh, when my son was three, turning four, uh, we were told that he had a disease that would cause blindness, retinitis pigmentosa. And then when he was four turning five, we found out that that was the tip of the iceberg, that he actually had a neuromuscular disease um, that slowly took away the ability for him to walk and then move and then move and then swallow, swallow and then talk. And then basically the last five years of his life between the ages of nine and 14, um, he was in bed full time on drugs, different medications around the clock every 45 minutes he had something. He was born normal um, throughout his life. He was cognitive, which means that Austin understood everything, including the day he was dying. Uh, we had big conversations. We had um, a lot of tears, a lot of laughter. He taught me a lot about the meaning of life and love. He was um, grew normally and typically. He it was everything that someone seeing him uh, on the street would say, well, why don't you get up out of that wheelchair that really happened and give it to your younger sister. <laughs> but I would say that the experience as contrasted to other people who lost their, their children suddenly, ours was like, I thought about this a while ago about what to tell you guys. It was more like a, 
a slow bloodletting. It was a bit of me dying every day for 14 years versus mm -hmm. I can't fathom the sudden shock that you all have endured. Um, it's a different loss and we can talk about that later. So my hearts go out to you all for your shocking and very sudden and tragic loss. I'm so sorry. Thank you. Um, I am Dale's mom, Debbie. Uh, he was born in 1992, a vibrant six-year-old little boy who ran everywhere he he went. The moment he learned how to walk, he ran. Um, he is our only child and um, we miss him to this day. And I am honored to be here on this panel with the three ladies. So I'm gonna start and I'm gonna ask, Nivia, I wanna ask you, um, because of the accident that happened with Yohito, and I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly, and if I'm not, feel free to correct me, please. How did you know when you were ready to extend forgiveness? And was that decision more difficult because it required forgiveness of a close family friend or member of, of your loved one? Well, actually, uh, Joito's father and I, uh, we both realized that uh, Joito's death was actually an accident. It was not a planned uh, and thing. And uh, we immediately forgive his friend, who was also, uh, like I had mentioned before, he was also a, a student, a elevation student, and he was boarding at home. So we, we loved this young man very much. And we understood, like I said, that it was an accident. And we knew deep in our hearts that uh, Joyita would not have wanted it any other way. Otherwise, it would have ruined his friend's future flying uh, career. So uh, we, we forgave right away. El papá de Joyito y yo perdonamos a su amigo inmediatamente porque entendimos que fue un accidente. No fue nada, una actividad planificada en absoluto. Y sabíamos muy bien que Joyito no lo hubiera querido de ninguna otra forma, porque le hubiera arruinado la carrera futura de su amigo, que él quería también convertirse en piloto. Thank you. And Sherry, you know, um, coming off of that, that question as well, how did you help yourself best through your grief process? You know, my, um, the the way that my son was killed in some ways was a real complicating factor because I didn't get to go somewhere and meet other people who had lost a child in an airplane crash, you know that. So when we have our, the types of losses we've had, we already feel very isolated and different. And that just was one more layer because I couldn't talk to anybody and say, what might it have been like for you when you did this or had this experience? So one of the things um, that was essential for me is I just had to find community and other people that first, who I could see were good people in the world and had something tragic and unexplainable happen because that gave me a sense of commonality and knowing there was someone else like me. And I needed to find hope, desperately needed to find people who were living and doing something beyond the moment I was in because it was impossible to see any of that. So for me, a big, a big step was finding the compassionate friends and finding other bereavement groups where I could meet other people. And at first I thought, you know, that would just be way too overwhelming to, to carry my pain. And, and as you all shared here, to hear others' pain that are equally and differently so tragic and difficult to to hold. But but very quickly I I 
learned that my heart opened a little more each time I heard those. And as I found more community and found there were many um, people uh, just on this panel who were all good moms and good dads and good siblings and good grandparents who had these unexplainable things happen and maybe had to find their way through. That was, was really, really big for me. And I remember the, you know, early on at my first meetings, when I saw people laughing, you know, my first response was, oh my gosh, how can you, you know, how can you possibly laugh? You, you must not ever be able to laugh again. And I can't be in a space where you can, you can find laughter. But months later, I don't have a number on that. That was actually one of my, you know, little windows of, of light and opening was when I laughed again for the first time and smiled again for the first time and, and could see that I could hold the love for my son and all of this pain, but I also could maybe find joy in life and things like that again. Thank you. Um, Diane, I wanted to kind of like switch a little bit because we talked about you, you try, you know, the process of forgiving yourself because of, you know, Mm. your son's disease and maybe that you know you created him so can you tell us about a little bit of that process please yeah sure good question um so two things austin had a recessive genetic disease so that means that my ex-husband and i each had a copy of the gene and we both contributed a copy of that gene rare there were only two at that time 250 children in the world that had this disease so we unknowingly passed this disease to him. And then the second thing is the way that Austin died. Austin was injured by a nurse who was in our home. We couldn't find the source of the pain. Hospice consulted with us. We were hospice patients at that time, which only means that somebody used to come once every few days or once a month. It was not a thing for full-time care. Um, so a nurse had come and had turned him incorrectly. We couldn't find the source of the pain after um, approximately 11 days. And we decided to withhold nutrition and hydration, which was a part of hospice's way that they thought the body was already dying. So it took me a long time to forgive myself for helping to facilitate Austin's death, ultimately. Mm -hmm. So... Let me start then, Diane, and I'll start with you um, because I want us, everyone to you know, hear this part from all of us. How did you find your way to hope? <laughs> I did everything wrong. I did, I did so many things wrong that they say that you just, I just kept trying. I would mm -hmm. try exercise, I tried yoga. Uh, I'm not shy in saying I would have a glass of wine at night to try and relax, which wrecked my sleep, which wrecked my eating patterns, which wrecked my, you know, I did that all wrong. And then one day I woke up and said, I can't do this this way. I have to exercise. And for me, I'm faith-based or I just tried it all, literally. And some things worked, some things didn't. What did work, I stayed with. I found music to be very healing based on neuro, the principles of neuroscience, exercise helped. And finally, she, to, to something Sherry said, one day at year three, um, I laughed out loud. And mm -hmm. it was the biggest shock to me that I was not going to die, like physically die from the pain of it all. And I will say this real quick too, that I wanna thank Gloria Horsley, who called me on Sunday nights, which to me Sunday was always family day, 
And Gloria would inevitably call me late at night because she was in California and I'm in Florida. And she would just talk me through, basically. And it makes me cry to this day. And I credit Gloria for literally saving me in a way that no one else could get through because Austin died. He was in so much pain for 14 years, so much pain that watching the pain was a different kind of death for us both. So Gloria, I love you. Thank you. Thank you. Nivia, how do you find your way to hope? Well, I believe that for two whole years, I cried my eyes out. It was such painful uh, and it was just a new way of seeing life. So one day after I left the office when I was working, I was crying less that day. And then I suddenly asked myself, what am I gonna do now that I'm crying less? How can I help myself more? And I found the answer at a meeting called by a well-known local psychologist. I was invited to attend. And at the end of the meeting, I realized that I wanted to start a TCF chapter in Puerto Rico and help bereaved families. To this day, 23 years later, I'm Los Amigos Compasivos is the largest bereavement group in the island, and I'm still their chapter leader, offering love, understanding, and hope that not everything is lost, that Joito, as well as all of your children, will always be in our hearts. Luego de un día de trabajo y de llorar menos, me pregunté qué yo iba a hacer ahora, cómo me podía ayudar. Encontré la contestación en una reunión de una conocida psicóloga. Asistí a la reunión y me di cuenta de que quería comenzar un capítulo de TCF, The Compassionate Friends de Puerto Rico, para ayudar a familias en duelo. Y luego de 23 años, Los Amigos Compasivos es el grupo de apoyo más grande en la isla y aún lo dirijo, ofreciendo amor, comprensión y esperanza de que no todo está perdido, de que Yoito y nuestros hijos e hijas siempre vivirán en nuestros corazones. Thank you. Sherry, how do you find your way to hope or how did hope find you? <laughs> a little of each, I think. Um, my experience was a little bit similar to Diane's in that I just tried everything I could possibly find. I did a lot of reading. I did a lot of music also was important to me. I actually made a, uh, at the time on my iPod, you know, a, a grief list, a, a, a list of songs that honored my son that brought that to me when I needed it. And I wrote a lot. I was a big exerciser, but I also began walking more than I ever walked before and yoga and meditation and things of that nature. And I've, you know, I found for me, uh, I cried, but crying wasn't quite as easy for me as Nivia, you described. So for me, I needed this, it was like my toolbox. And, and because we have grief brain that is foggy, I had a list on my phone that if I got stuck, I would just look at it. And it was this toolbox of things, probably 15 different things. And I could look at it and sort of feel for a minute what do I need at this moment? What might help me just a little bit? And that process of getting to the next step was really meaningful because we, when we're in that stage, we don't think we can even make it to the next minute, next day, next week, whatever, wherever we are. And that was really helpful. 
And um, for me personally, I started seeing signs from my son, which was really beautiful. And he, in many ways, helped guide me. And that's um, some of what my book is about, because I also found that I had I found fabulous resources that did help me. I was a voracious reader about it, but they all seemed to sort of stop after the first year. You know, it was like what to expect when you're expecting. You get that first year and then go, now what do I do? And similarly, I didn't find much that came after all, how do you get through all of those firsts? So that is, is what inspired me to write about, okay, what do we do now? We made it through all those firsts and, and there should be something better. And I, you know, I'm still really, <laughs> excuse me, struggling after that. So that was also a piece of it as well. Well, thank you. Uh, my, my answer to these questions, my feelings, these ladies have stated, um, my son dies suddenly. It's one day he's happy and running and the next day he's not. And I think I cried and crawled and rolled in the mud to find my way to hope. I eventually found my way to the compassionate friends and found there were people that were similar to me, like, like me. And I found like my tribe and it made me happy and it made me sad. But in the, in the end, I am most happy to have found my tribe. Um, the ladies here on the panel, Diane, Nivia, and Sherry, offer a wealth of information of how to just put your foot in front of the other or go backwards, whatever you may need. Nivia is always available for translation. Uh, Nivia, we thank you for offering that because we want to make sure that we are inclusive as well. And, you know, just remember that Nivia was part of the Diversity Commission as well. That's so right. you just you, yeah so we just want to make sure of that so anyone you know feel free in reaching out to any of us for more conversation more questions uh we may have answers may not have answers but we've got a listening ear and an open heart so ladies i'd like for you to just uh as we close uh say your child's name uh my son daily dulavon the third i love you cherry connor lacamanch i love you and i miss you and your sibling as well. Patty O'Loughlin, also, thank you. Nivia. Joito, I love you with all my heart. Te amo, Joito, con todo mi corazón. I love you, Teresita. I love you, Miguel. Te amo, Teresita, y te amo, Miguel. A los tres, los amo. Thank you. Diane. Austin Gray, I miss you, but also thank you for showing up. Uh, you saved my life twice already. I hope that that's we're done with that. <laughs> and just thank you for staying around. Thank you. And we thank you to Open to Hope for allowing us to just be here today. The loss of a loved one can leave you feeling depressed, angry, alone, lost. But you don't have to face this journey on your own. Open to Hope is a free community for anyone who has experienced loss. Find support. Find help. Find hope. Give grief a voice at opentohope.com.